Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here. My name's Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at Westside. If it's your first Sunday, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. I want to say something real quick. It was cool, um, Aaron, watching you read because like 40 years ago, your dad was up here singing and my dad was preaching. And so I guess we're getting old, like, you know, so that's really cool. Um, I, I, I just want to share one thing with you today. I know that you've heard a lot of announcements, and one of them was in regards to Westside men. And, and listen, we have Westside women. That happens at the first of the month. You can check out the information center for all of that. But I... I, I just really feel led to give you an update in regards to what's going on. Um, Westside Men, as it is now, is really the fruit of like, really ever since I got here as pastor. I always wanted a men's ministry because I believe as men go, so goes the church. As men go, so goes society, all of that. And so we would do various breakfasts and 6 a.m. on Saturday on your day off and like all of this type of stuff. And then we started meeting consistently. And um, since we have really launched this August, we haven't been below like 40 men. And, and listen, that's not a numbers game, but what that is is um, we have more men uh, at Westside on Mondays than Buffalo Wild Wings does. Like, that's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. And... We have new men come every week. Listen, if, if you're in the Butler County area, 16 years or older, we have men who serve and are faithful in other churches who come on Monday nights just to get prayed for and to be, it's what Matt said, you just get built up. And so we get new men every week. And, and this past Monday, uh, we had a group of men, two guys come. It was their first Monday night. And opening up at the table, we eat, we sing. Singing is my favorite time because to hear a room full of men sing, I believe, shakes the gates of hell. Like, it's, it's incredible to hear. We're not on pitch all the time, but it's really encouraging to hear. And then there's a time of formal teaching, which is geared towards men, a leadership sort of level. And then there's table time. There's application. There's table time. There's a table leader. There's a time of prayer request. All of this stuff. And so we had two guys come to a table. They were opening up. As a matter of fact, one of the guys was like, man, like I'm telling y'all stuff I've never even told my wife before. Like I just realized that I needed this. And so they leave and um, one of the gentlemen on the way home was just feeling the Lord, just conviction, confirmation, just the Lord was all over him. And so his buddy pulled over, they rode together, pulled over on the side of the road and led that young man to the Lord right there. Yeah, man. Yeah. I don't need to give you statistics, number one, how rare 
that is for a man um, who's 20-something, 30-something, 40-something to give his life to Christ. But the statistics are also true in the reverse. It's something like if the man is a Christian, um, the family is 95% likely to follow him to go to church. And so, listen, what we believe at Westside Men is we are breaking generational chains. That's what we want to do. And so listen, again, I'm just laying that before you. Um, it is a great place to come for community for all of that stuff. Okay, now th- here's the transition. There it was. Now we're in Jude, okay? And so listen, if it's your first time here, we love books of the Bible. And we have jumped into this oftentimes overlooked New Testament book, Jude. It's a letter. Um, It doesn't even have any chapters. It is one single letter written by Jesus's half-brother because Jesus didn't have an earthly father, um, Jude, or also known as Thaddeus. And so he is writing to the churches that uh, the apostle Peter had most likely planted. And so just a quick review, what we said is, is Christians are called to contend for the faith. That's the thrust of the letter. It's right there in verse 3. Jude says, I wanted to write one letter that was all like, hey man, this is great. We got good stuff going on. But I was so compelled about what was going on that I had to write this letter. And contend means to, to fight earnestly for. And Christians are called to contend for the faith. The second thing that we said was this. Um, We must contemplate the gospel long before we ever contend for the gospel. When Christians here contend for the faith, we're like, yeah, baby, we love Jesus and we're mad about it. And this is what we're against. And And that's totally not the thing, okay? What Jude does is in those first verses, man, he just breaks down. We are called, we are loved, we are kept. We meditate and we marinate in the gospel long before we ever step out and defend it. And then last week we said this, Christians are called to contend for the gospel with compassion and conviction. We said it's grace and truth. A quick summary of the sermon last week was this. All grace and no truth is hypocrisy. But all truth and no grace is brutality. And the beauty is, is Jesus came full of grace and truth. That was the beauty. We always like to say grace or truth. You a grace person or a truth person? No, no, no. We don't get that option. We have to live in the tension. We called it a humble boldness. That's how Jude's writing the letter. He says, beloved, twice. He's not slamming his hands down on the table. He has a tender tone. And he's saying, listen, there's some serious things going on. We got to get off the couch because of the love of God. And so this week, maybe this will help, I, like many of you, um, you know, I try to just turn on the news for like five minutes. And I'm like, oh, oh, it's like scarier than any scary movie that's out, right? And so I just try to catch up what's going on, you know, what balloon was in the air today or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And so obviously, like many of you this week, I heard of a place for the very first time Um, East Palestine, Ohio, right? 
And so it was around 9 p.m. early this week, a train derailed in the small town, the population of about 4,700. Um, one of the worst train derailments in American history. Uh, the, the total number of cars was uh, almost 40 cars derailed. The problem with that was is that these train cars were carrying something out of the Superman movie. I mean, it was an immensely toxic chemical that spills out, the train crashes, this isn't good. At one point, the, uh, the, the chemicals are so highly flammable that um, it was reported that the flames were 50 feet in the air. I mean, it looked like an atomic bomb was set off in the town if you looked from surrounding areas. Now, obviously, the devastation is much higher because of those toxic chemicals in the ground, in the air. Animals are reported um, dropping dead some 50 miles away from this town. I mean, this is like... Um, Somebody's getting fired. Can we just write, like, this serious deal, okay? This is a big, big deal. And, you know, unless you have your aluminum hat on, okay, um, often right now what the reports are saying through camera surveillance footage is right before the train derails, they see one of the wheels almost get red hot, and the reports are coming out that they cut cost uh, in order to, you know, carry this type of chemical. You have to meet all of these standards. And, and literally, one report, again, I don't know as much probably as you do, but one report says that it might even be all the way down to a single bolt and washer that was not of the specifications and code to carry that much weight at that much speed. Like, literally, the town's evacuated, fish are dying, it looks like a nuclear bomb went off, and you can literally almost go all the way back to a bolt and a washer because we were trying to cut costs. Listen, such a small detail leads to such devastation. That's where we're at in Jude. In these verses, we're going to start in verse 5 and go actually all the way to verse 16 today. But listen, um, the big idea, if you don't get anything, but you get one thing, this is what I want you to get today, and it's this. Christians are called to avoid apostasy at all costs. Now, if I was preaching this sermon about 30 years ago, I wouldn't have to define that word. If I stood up and was like apostasy about 30 years ago in the church, people would know, they would understand. But, you know, as culture goes and this, that, and the other, um, what we need to do is we need to define this word because... This word is the theme of the letter. We are on it, bullseye, Yahtzee, bingo, here we go, okay? So we need to learn some other terms here. 
So here we go. We're, we're going to learn some things. Apostasy is a big word, but so is mayonnaise. We're going to learn some things today, okay? All right, the first term is this. Uh, you remember hearing this, a backsliding Christian, right? Probably heard your grandma say it to you. It's probably where you heard it, right? Um, actually, a really good term, good word. Uh, the term backsliding uh, originates from a Greek word in the New Testament. And, and literally, the term a backsliding Christian refers to a momentary lapse in a Christian's faith journey. Momentary can be a season. I don't know. One time, a couple times. I don't know. We don't get all of these like great details. But what we do know is that it's a... Um, here's what you need to think of. You need to think of Peter denying Jesus. You remember that? Remember when Peter was like, I, I love Peter. He was like, I love you, Lord. We'll go anywhere, like pulls out a sword, tries to like fight a guy for Jesus. And he's like, I'm going to die for you, man. And Jesus is like, listen, you have no idea what you're saying. Because you're all like, I'm never, right? Like, like I remember saying, like, my kids are never going to wear Crocs. We're never going to have a van. I'm never going to have a cat. You might see me in town driving my van with a cat in the front, my kids all in Crocs, okay? <laughs> like, like, we don't know. And, and Peter, literally, there's a moment where he's, like, the spotlight's on him. He denies Jesus. Look up here, don't miss this. Not once. Not twice. Three times. If I were to say what Peter said on a Sunday morning, I'd get fired from my job, and rightly so, right? But Peter comes back in repentance to Jesus. It's a backsliding, okay? That's a term. I'm trying to clarify some things for us. The second term is this, a carnal Christian. You know, if you grew up in church, you probably heard an evangelist use this term, right? Fire and brimstone, baby. Fire and churn. We've got a carnal Christians in here. I love Jesus, but I'm mad about it, right? Um, a carnal Christian refers to giving into the flesh. Now, again, what does that mean? Like my skin? What does that even mean? Well, the Bible uses terms, and the flesh is that part of us that has not fully submitted to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We, we battle with it every day. The Apostle Paul battled with it. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. It's the flesh, right? Refers to giving into the flesh and indulging one's sensual appetites for a moment. Okay? That's what... It's, it's all pleasure. I'm just giving in gluttony. I mean, it does, like when I say sensual, we just think sex or something. I mean, any of those, greed, any of those things. It's like, oh, I just, I'm in the jacuzzi of the world right now. And I'm just, I gave into it, man. I struggle with it, right? These are good terms. These help clarify some things for us. But this is not what Jude is talking about. This is not what I meant by my big idea. Um, James says is that you pursue those who are caught in this sin so that they may... This, is always, this always ends in a returning unto Jesus if the person loves Christ more than sin. 
Apostate or apostasy is entirely different. Apostate refers, please don't, this is every word in this is massively important. An apostate refers to the willful act of distorting and denying the faith. Willful. Here's how it starts. Distance. Ah, I just, I don't know, man. I just, I need to take a break for a little bit. I just, I mean, what do I even believe? You know, like, so it's distance. And then now a popular phrase in our culture is to deconstruct, which I'm for some deconstruction of religion and stuff like that, but starts with distance. Then it removes to deconstruction. I mean, dude, how do we know, man? Like, I listened to this Joe Rogan episode, and they were eating mushrooms, and the guy was like, I mean, the Bible. And I was like, I was high too. And I was like, yeah, man, the, that's not even true, man. And, like, and now like, you've got all the knowledge from a three-minute YouTube clip, right? Awesome. And so now you're deconstructing stuff. I'm all for deconstruction if it leads to reconstruction. But apostasy starts with distance, Deconstruction, then this, distortion. Well, no, 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 I believe this, and there's some people on the internet who, like, listen, dude, you can find anybody to agree with anything you say on the internet, man. So I found this group, and, you know, we quilt Afghans together, and, you know, sweaters for our cats and stuff, and what we believe is, okay, then... After distortion, it always ends here, an outright denial. And when I mean a willful denial, I mean I know what the Bible teaches. Jesus is fully God and fully man. There is one God, creator of the heavens, the creeds, whatever. I mean the orthodox faith. And they look at you in the eye and they say, I once believed that. I once professed that. And I outright reject that, knowing what you believe my consequences will be. Whew. Listen, there is no greater severity in the scriptures other than apostasy. We don't just toss the word around. It is DEFCON 9. It is serious. And listen, I would love to say that my years in ministry and being a pastor that I haven't sat at a table with a man and his wife and the man's best friend and the best friend and the wife weeping, calling him to repentance, my Bible open saying, according to Scripture, there's no other way in which God is calling you to repentance right now. From the authority of the church and the love of the people around you, we are saying if you do this, it will end in the destruction of your soul. And to have someone look at you and say, I know, and I choose it. So what do we do? Well, that's where Jude comes in. I... I really love how G. Campbell Morgan, a great pastor, defined apostasy. And he said this, apostasy is the willful return to ungodliness. Oh, man. It's the willful return. 
to ungodliness. And you say, Pastor, your big idea said avoid. I thought we were like, last week, last week you had the scripture that had Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And you were all like, compassion and compassion and conviction. And, all, and now you're telling me to avoid? Um, I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. And the apostle Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy. He, he, he's pastor of a mega church in the scriptures. There's a lot of stuff going on. And guess what? Apostates and apostasy, the ideology, has crept into the church. And here's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days, ready for this, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self Literally selfie. Isn't that wild, right? Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Some of you are like, oh, Jesus might return today. That's what it was like on the way to church today, right? <laughs> disobedient to their parents. Look at this. Ungrateful? Unholy? Heartless? Unappeasable? Whoa, I underlined that in my Bible. Unappeasable. You know what that means? No answer satisfies. Doesn't matter. I have an explanation. Don't like that one. Unappeasable. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. Reckless. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here it is. Here it is. Having the appearance of of godliness, but outright denying its power. And then here's what he says. Well, what am I supposed to do? Avoid such people. Why? For among them are those who creep into households. Remember what Jude said a few weeks ago in Jude uh, verse 3? It's like we're preaching the Bible here. It's crazy, right? Jude said, they've crept in unnoticed into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and lead astray by various passions. Here it is. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Why? Why do we avoid such people? Why is the theology and the doctrine of apostasy so severe in the scripture? Because always the goal of an apostate is not just to deny their faith, it's to destroy yours. Hands down. Jesus spoke of this term. He called them wolves. He called the Christian community like a pasture of sheep who need a shepherd. Have you ever been around sheep? They are dumb as rocks. I mean, as rocks, man. It's unbelievable. They need a shepherd. Jesus is our great shepherd. And he said, but there is an enemy that uses people to come in and devour people's faith. So what is Jude saying today? Well, listen, the pace is picking up now. 
So literally each week, we've only studied two verses. We studied the verse two, and then we study verses three and four because we have to spend time there, man. We, like, this is the theme. This is why I'm right, and this is who I am. All of that stuff. Now we're picking up pace. Now we're covering ground. And listen, I, I need you to do me a favor today. I need you to have your Bible in your hand, or if you have a fake Bible on your phone, I'll let it slide. Okay, any of that stuff. Listen, listen, we, we purposefully don't put all the verses up here. Do you know why? Because I want you to have it. Here's the great mistake. If I ever hear this, the sermon has failed. Well, Pastor Jason, today you said, Pastor Jason, today you believe, well, that's a partial truth. Yeah, I do believe that because of the black and white in front of us. And so listen, I'm sticking real close to the scriptures today. And Jude starts out, with the severity of all of this. And Jude shows us three reminders of God's judgment. But Jude does it by using Old Testament references. Like back in the day, I could probably stand up and just teach this passage 40 years ago and people would know about the sons of Korah. But now it's like, Korah, what is that? So we're gonna take a little time why does Jude show us this? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But three reminders of God's past judgment. The first one is this. God's judgment is total. Look in verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Is that so cool? Raise your hand if you've heard that for the first time, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt, right? We have one honest person. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Everybody else is lying, right? Isn't that incredible? The whole Bible's about Jesus. It's always been Jesus. We celebrate him becoming flesh at Christmas, but it's always been Jesus. Isn't that incredible that Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt? And then here it is. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Whoa, whoa. I was all for Jesus Savior, not Jesus Slayer. That'd be a good band name, by the way, okay? What is that about? Um, we can write this reference down. Numbers chapter 14 is what Jude's referring to. You can go back and read it. In Numbers 14... That's what I love about the Bible. Remember, let my people go, and like the Passover. You remember all that stuff? Learning that with sugar-free Kool-Aid and dry wafer crackers, all right? God saves them. They were slaves in Egypt. Brutal. God raises up Moses, the plagues, all the stuff. God saves them out of Egypt. They are in the desert looking at the Red Sea, and they see Pharaoh behind them. And do you know what the people of Israel have the audacity to say to Moses? Why did you save us? We're going to die right here. You should have left us in Egypt. I'm telling a board member. <laughs> it's in the Hebrew in there somewhere. Literally, quote, they say, it would have been better if we died as slaves, 
rather than be destroyed here and now. Can you imagine being Moses in that moment? Um, I love the Bible because out of any other source of anything, I believe it's supernaturally written, it shows the condition of the human heart. Hey, this is for free, but how about this? How many of y'all are complaining about something that you used to pray for? Are we, is that too soon in the sermon? Are we supposed to wait later on? And, and because they grumbled in Numbers 14 was, was the sin, grumbled against Moses, God issues a decree. And he says, everyone 20 years and older will not enter the promised land. You will die in the desert. Interesting that he actually uses the younger generation to go into the promised land. That's a whole different sermon, but I could go off on a tangent there. But God's judgment was total in that sense. Um, the second thing is this. God's judgment is timely. Look in verse 6. It gets real weird real fast. Here we go. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. There it is, of the great day. There's the timely. Um, here's a verse for you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, refers to the rebellion of the angels. I'm going to tell you something right now. You might not hear a pastor or preacher say a lot. When it comes to the rebellion of the angels, and we know that Lucifer was an angel of light, he was one of the highest angels. A lot of scholars believe that he actually was in charge of music. Very interesting. We could go on another tangent. But somewhere in the timeline, you ready for this? You're not going to hear a lot of pastors say this. I don't know, okay? Some scholars believe that after he created Adam and Eve in his image and likeness, Jesus refers to seeing Satan cast out of heaven like a bolt of lightning, and he takes a third of the angels with him who become demonic beings. A lot of scholars believe that when he saw how high he had created man in his own image, and all of creation praising God, that Lucifer became jealous. And in Isaiah, it says that he desired that his throne be God's throne. The first sin, dear friends, was not technically in the Garden of Eden. The first sin was one of pride. Which is why Augustine said, pride is the mother of all sins, for she is pregnant with all the rest. Everything flows from that. But Jude is saying um, there is judgment that is still going to be happening. And you can write this reference down, Revelation 21. Revelation 21. That is the judgment day. Long before Arnold Schwarzenegger ever made the movie, that is the day that, oh, this is so good. The early church used to say, have a phrase, uh, a phrase, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, Jesus because that is our hope, that every wrong will be made right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That God's judgment is timely, not our time, but his. And then the third thing is this. God's judgment is terrible. 
Look in verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. There's no jokes on this one. I said I was sticking close to the text. The term sexual immorality that you find there in verse 7 is a Greek word that's equivalent used in the Gospels when Jesus says the sin of sexual immorality. It's the, it's, it has the root of the word porneia. Ring any bells? So, so please listen to me. Yes, he is talking about a specific sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, but don't get it twisted. The sexual immorality is any sexual sin that is outside of God's design of a man and a woman in Genesis. And now listen, that is so difficult to say in this day and age, but, but, but can I just submit one thing? Can I just submit one thing to you? Everyone agrees the world is broken. Everyone, Christopher Hitchens believes the world is broken. Here's where we disagree. We disagree on the answer and the solution. And can I just propose one thing, and I know what this costs. For once, rather than rejecting the creator's directions, could we submit ourselves unto it? And what he's saying is, is this serves as a picture of God's holiness. Here's the sentence. God's past judgments are a reminder of his future judgment on sin. Now I need to be real careful here. Because I could just stop. And if I stopped, I would leave you with the bunch of condemnation. Now, Romans 8, chapter 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Oh, yes and amen. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says this, no one can read these verses without clearly seeing God's hatred for sin and at the same time, his patience and willingness to postpone judgment. That's why the Psalms say, today is the day unto salvation. That's why we used to have right outside those doors painted on the wall, the Psalm of Moses that said, today, if you hear his word, do not harden your hearts, O Israel. And Paul would go on to say this in the book of Romans. Do you suppose, O oh man, who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? Hello, Yahtzee, right? Who are you to judge in such a way that you also participate? Then he says this, that you would escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? Please listen to this. Don't ever mistake God's patience with passivity. Just because God is patient with you does not mean God is passive about the chronic sin that could dwell within our lives. And all of these verses are a recap to show if God is good, and he is, then what's the answer? That there's got to be a judgment. And praise be to God that over 2,000 years ago, God wrote himself into the story. And oh my, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus Christ, literally, Martin Luther called it the great exchange That my sexual immorality, my addictions, my pride, my greed, my gossip, that I come to Christ and I give him those things. And what he does is he takes those literally upon himself and then he gives me his robe of righteousness. Listen, the gospel is so outlandish that you're not just forgiven. That's half the gospel. The good news of the gospel is anyone who repents and comes to Jesus Christ and gives him their sin, they are not just forgiven, they're rewarded. You're not just forgiven, you're rewarded. And then he calls you son, daughter. It's the whole story of the prodigal son. My dear friends, when we say judgment and we look at this, the part of you that is angry and resisting is the part of you that has not submitted unto God. But for a moment, rather than just getting blind with the word judgment, could we not see his patience and his forbearance on our life? And right now, God is calling you unto repentance. You're like, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, you're in church, okay? (laughs) Good Lord, let's start there, all right? You're like, I'm praying for a sign. Like, here's your sign. Today is the day. So now here's what Jude does. He says, hey, listen. I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said, if God does not judge the United States of America, then he will need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you think God's past judgments are? They are but a sign that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So now what are we supposed to do? Well, now what Jude does is he exposes the apostates and what they're teaching. Oh, this is so good. He blows the lid off of it. He's like, here's what you need to look for. There are people that have crept in. And listen, they're not just denying and rejecting the faith. They want to destroy your faith too. And here is what you need to look for. And he uses a number of descriptions. I'm I'm calling this four characteristics of every cult. You ready? Here we go. Number one, yet in like manner, these people also rely on their dreams 
defiling the flesh, and then here it is, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. What's the first mark of every cult? Well, they reject authority. Always, hands down. They will never, um, David Koresh is not submitting to anyone, right? They never are under authority. Here's what they always come up and ask. Hey, man, can I teach? Can I be in authority? My dear friend, by the way, this is good life principles. If you're hiring someone, by the way, Um, if they do not submit to authority, then they don't get to be in authority, That's the guidelines of the scriptures. But what is their authority? What is their appeal? Well, he said it. Relying on their dreams. Now, caveat over here. What are you saying, Pastor? You don't believe God speaks through dreams? Yes, I do. You see it in the Bible? But check this out. It's even kind of rare in the Bible. And some of y'all be having dreams more than Daniel in the lion's den, okay? (laughs) And here's what happens. Here it is. Here's what, like, it, it's, it's the God card, right? You go, hey, I think you're going somewhere dangerous with this. You ready for it? Here it is. Well, God told me. Great. So now, like, if I say something, I hate God. or so, like, it's, But what they've done is they've put themselves in a position of authority. Do you know what the New Testament's answer to this is? A plurality of leadership. A plurality of elders. I'm no, like, what, like, don't try to just meet with me all the time. I ain't got all the answers, man. You know how sinful I am? Talk to my wife out in the lobby, man. I ain't got no special prayers that get faster to heaven than yours or anything like that. We have a board. We have a staff. There's a structure in this thing. There's a plurality of leadership. But the first sign, they reject authority. And then look, he uses, isn't this crazy? Look at verse 9. This is wild. Verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. (laughs) What? What was that scene? We got to peek behind the cosmic curtain. Jude is telling us that when Moses died, there was a fight over Moses' body. Now, we don't know necessarily why, but I love what Spurgeon suggests. He said, our Jewish friends reject the Messiah now. Could you imagine if they had a shrine to Moses? How hardened their heart would be. And so there's a fight. And by the way, Michael is one of the lead archangel. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable. This guy's super powerful. He bears a sword. It's unbelievable, right? Why did Jude write that? He has power. And what does he say? He does not say, I'm going to fight you, you dirty devil, you, and like try to muster up his own strength. He says, the Lord rebuke you. He submits to the power of Jesus. An angel says to Satan, literally, I'm not even using my own power with you, but the Lord rebuke you. He's using Michael as a positive example of someone who has submitted to authority. They reject authority. The second thing is this. um, They rely only 
on feelings. Look at verse 10. But these people, are you seeing the phrase? He says it multiple times. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. Here it is. They are destroyed by all that they... (laughs) Dude, this is like, this is hardcore what he says. They, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. What's Jude saying? He's saying they don't follow God, they follow their gut. That's why some animals, you leave the feed bag open and they will eat themselves to death. They are dying and still eating. Why? The gut. It's just the flesh. It's just pleasure. It's just carnal feelings that are leading. And Jude says, if you see someone who's constantly not reserving themselves, but giving in all the time to something like that, that's a mark. The third thing is this. They always reveal hypocrisy. Verse 11, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Here it is, here it is. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. Hey, that's what they used to call a communion service in the early church. Love feasts. I just thought that was cool. That was for free. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they, here it is, feast with you without fear. Oh, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam on their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of the utter darkness has been reserved. What's he saying? Well, number one, a hidden reef back in those days when you were sailing was death. You can't see it. It's under the surface. All of these things, these descriptions, have devastating consequences for those who follow. What he's saying is they're fake. They're like a tree that's supposed to have fruit and there's no fruit on it. It's like, oh, there's a cloud. We've been in a drought. Yay! No rain. What? That's that's pointless. And here's what Jude is saying. Always their character in their lifestyle will reveal a level of hypocrisy that they just expose themselves. I mean, I mean, look at famous cults. It's always like, hey, men, men in my cult, you're not allowed to be married, but God told me to marry all of your wives. I know, it's crazy. He told me, he didn't tell you, he wants you to break up with your wife. I'm supposed to marry your, all of your wives, actually. Like, it, guys, it's the same story over and over and over. Joseph Smith is out in the woods, and he gets a vision from an angel, rewrites the entire Bible. Yeah, I believe it was an angel, because Lucifer appears as an angel of light. There's always a level of hypocrisy there, and the last thing is this. They return to ungodliness. In verses 14 through 16, he says the term ungodly 
One, two, three, four times. Verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents. Now here it is, here's the key. Following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. In the end, here's the irony of it all. In the end, it's full circle. And they go right back to the ungodliness that they once said God had saved them from. Now listen, Jude's call to us today, Christians are called to avoid it at all costs. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I have some specific application, and please don't miss this. I know it's heavy, but please listen. The text is heavy. I can't make it say what it doesn't say. So what are we supposed to do? Because if we're honest with ourselves, like, where do I land in this? What's going on? Well, number one, I want to assure you. Remember what I talked about the backsliding and the carnal, there's moments, there's seasons. We're all stumbling forward, man. We're all struggling with something. And today, let this right now be a sign of God's grace and mercy. Listen, I know you think no one knows about the addiction, but you're just wrong. It's destroying everything you have. And, and until it's brought into the light, it will always have power over you. But here's what I'm saying. God's inviting you to bring it into the light now. And I know what you're saying. Dude, I can't. It's going to cost. Do you understand what it's? I've built this life on, on fake. And, and if I come out with it, it's going to cost me so much. Listen, here's what you don't understand. You don't have it now. It's costing you your life now. You don't have it under control now. So, so if you're struggling, but you love the Lord, it's, it's a call to repentance, man. I want to assure you in that. This is for some of us who are like on the line of like, it's not doubting. Listen, doubt wants to believe it just doesn't have enough evidence and faith right now. It's like, I'm doubting God in this situation. Okay, a lot of people doubted God in Scripture. But here's what they did. They brought their doubts to God. That's how we handle it. Unbelief refuses to believe despite the evidence. That's what I'm talking about. So the first application question is this. Do we love and know the good news of Jesus enough to even recognize a distortion of it? I believe so many Christians fall into temptation or apostasy because somewhere along the way, there wasn't a contemplation of the gospel. That God's permission actually far outweighs God's restriction. We're just obsessed with the very thing that he says no to. And remember what we said last week? 
every time God says no, it means don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. The second question is this. We watch for apostates entering our homes, but how much apostasy has actually entered our hearts? You see, it changes. We're not headhunters. We're soul searchers. And that's different. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Oh my, it's, it's a fictional setting about a real spiritual truth. And, and the Screwtape Letters are about two demons. Um, one of them is a senior demon, and he's real good at tricking and tempting and all kinds of stuff. And then there's a new younger demon. And, and the older demon is showing him how to trick Christians and what to do. And so the young demon, they, they have their subject, their Christian, that they're going to attack. And the young demon's like, all right, pitchfork, pointy tail, fire, let's do it all. And the senior demon goes, oh no, oh no. That's not how we get them. And C.S. Lewis says these words, all the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid, they can be inhibited and nothing given in return so that at least he may say, as some of my own patients said on their arrival down here, oh no. I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought or what I even liked. The Christians describe the enemy as one, quote, without whom nothing is strong. And you see, nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in dreary flickering of the mind over it knows what not and knows not why. It does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. And here's how he closes it. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Remember, don't get the picket sign and now it's out there it's out we're coming it's first always not out there but in here we start here first father god we come before you today and god this is a sunday where we trust in your word and we are reminded that because you love us so sometimes you get our attention and that's what I pray. God, right now, I feel such a sense in my spirit 
that someone is white knuckling and gripping and closing their hands so tight and tears are in their mind and their eye because they are filled with anger and they are saying I'm not letting go it's going to cost too much and God I pray that the hammer of your love would break the hard heart and the hard mind and the sweetness of repentance and grace. Every time you say, no, don't, you mean don't hurt yourself. God, may we be aware of the devastation and distortion of our faith. We're, we're so easily led astray if we're honest. But God, I pray our tone is not first to headhunt out there, but to soul search in here. And God, I pray a word of comfort, oh my. First John chapter three, verse 20, when our hearts condemn us, God is stronger than our hearts. Romans chapter eight, verse one, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, for if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old is gone and the new is come. We battle and we stumble forward, but we're in Christ. So God encourage the hearts that are in the battle. The men who are, who are fighting for the sobriety. God, encourage their hearts today. The reason why it's hard is because you matter. God, encourage the, the, the mom, the married couple, the teenager. God, right now, who's standing up for their faith and it's so hard and they're discouraged because it's the fifth Friday night in a row that they're at home and they're not getting that. God, encourage them and let them know it is worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in this place. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.